Happy 2020, ladies and gentlemen, podcast family. What a genuine privilege and honor to be with you in the new decade. I hope that you had an amazing holiday. I hope that wherever you are right now, you're doing tremendous. I am sending you a genuine hug through the airwaves, all of my love, support, appreciation, and wishing you all of the best in 2020. Um, Over the holidays, I took a little bit of time off. As you notice, I didn't really edit much podcasts. I spent time with my family, my new daughter. Uh, My mom was visiting, so it was a lot of family time. Kind of took a backseat to, you know, doing all the things podcasting. So that was nice, but I am ready to get back into it. So there are a lot of amazing things coming through in 2020. And this first episode, of course, it has to be Native American elder David Lone Bear Senapass talking about some pretty incredible stuff. In this episode, we've entitled it Identifying the Signals from Space. Thousands of intelligent signals are being sent to Earth, and apparently NASA knows this, and David, if you look up Project Bright Star, has sent high-altitude balloons into space, and they are measuring the electromagnetic uh, field of the planet. They're also detecting signals. So this is very interesting. You can look it up. Uh, NASA and other organizations are receiving these signals. Uh, the one famous one is called the wow signal and there are many others. So this is a really fascinating episode and we cover a lot. He talks about the Knights Templar secret. There is a connection and there are actually hieroglyphs in Nova Scotia of Knights Templars um, hieroglyphs and things carved into stone there's oak island there's all kinds of interesting stuff over there so there is a connection between the Mi'kmaq and the knights templars and it is in their history Um, we talk about fourth dimensional signals what a class m civilization is decoding the wow signal nova scotia's connection with the knights templars um, why some satellites have gone into deep space going beyond the heliosphere. I had to Google that, so I invite you to do that too. Um, How NASA is hearing this signal um, and so much more. This is just like three of the four things. The the ROAR signal, R-O-A-R, element 115, um, the... Uh, the Tic Tac event with by Commander Fravor that was documented and how he went on Joe Rogan seeing these craft move at incredible speeds and it was captured by a military plane. So this is very, very fascinating stuff and uh, this is an incredible episode. I know that you're going to enjoy it. If you want to help spread the word, please share this episode. Tag me at Matt Belair. You can tag David um, at Ancient Echoes on, on Facebook. Um, you can check him out on Lone Bear's Arts, but sharing is really the only way to get it out there. Also, leaving a review is super helpful. And thank you so very much to all of my patrons. I really appreciate it. It helps immensely. Thank you to everybody who supported in 2019 and is supporting in 2020. Thank you, Katie Kirk, for tossing a buck in the bucket. I really appreciate it. And if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Matt Belair. And it helps immensely. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And the best thing that you can do if you want to support the show is do one kind act for another human being today. Even better, take the kindness challenge, do three kind acts do it for a week see what happens let me know because there's a good chance you will experience a universal wink something weird will happen just for you and what better way to start the new year than taking the kindness challenge also i am very very proud to announce i am literally in the final minutes and hours of launching the premium membership academy i'm going to launch it with a 21 day challenge i hope to have it ready by now but it wasn't so make sure you go to mattbelair.com sign up for the email list i'm going to be sending out an email today or tomorrow and i'm going to start the 
21 day challenge on the 13th. It's going to be 21 lessons. It's going to be a lot of Q and A. And basically I'm going to give you a little exercise or lesson or something that I do to get my year started off right. I do it every year. I'm going to break it down. I'm going to take a lot of questions and I'm going to interact quite a bit. And this is to launch the membership site, which is going to feature um, guest content. I'm going to do Q and A's. I'm going to put in guided meditations and I'm going to be asking for your feedback on what you want in there. And I'm going to be creating some courses, some exclusive content just for you and really spending 2020 building the master mind, body and spirit Academy, helping teach you deeper lessons, deeper tools, and really everything we are exploring in the podcast. And you'll have a home for where you can apply it to your own life in a very concise manner. So I'm very excited to announce that. So check out mattbelair.com. Sign up for the email list. The 21-day challenge will be dropping soon. Come in at any time and uh, definitely explore with community. I hope to see you guys in there. And uh, yeah, so that wraps that up. If you guys want to do one-on-one coaching, just hit me up, matt at zenathlete.com, and we will get into it. So I think that wraps up uh, everything I need to say for this first episode of 2020. So excited to dive in. So let's come into a place of peace and coherence. Wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and just let it out slowly, filling every cell, every muscle, and every fiber of your being with peace, joy, contentment, enthusiasm, and ready to take on this absolutely amazing episode with Native American elder David Lone Bear Senapas. Hello and welcome to the Mastermind Body and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. Today's guest needs no introduction. He is my friend, Megamon Native American, scientist, engineer, mathematician, all-around good guy. <laughs> welcome to the show, David Lonebear Senapas. Hey, David. Good afternoon, Matthew. How are you this afternoon? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing good. Where, where, where are you calling from this morning, this afternoon? Uh, Cambridge, Ontario. What about you? Uh, I am in... Um, um, Halifax, Nova Scotia. Nice. I forget where I am. I was in a different place last night, so I just yeah. forget where I just woke up from. So, right. You're, do, you're doing some teachings in Halifax. What are the teachings tonight about? Uh, tonight, uh, that we'd be talking about, the, of course, the Copper Scrolls, and we'd be talking about uh, some of the uh, how the, um, the the Copper Scrolls um, come up with some of the sciences that we've been. Um, uh, already have uh, and some of the ancestries through the people in this area uh, so that that's really fascinating there that i've been doing a lot of the studying on on how the templars uh, integrated into nova scotia and how nova scotia and moncton and all those areas kind of went out into the world and into different families so that's that's kind of good tonight and it's called the templar secret but it, but it's not really a secret but everybody thinks it's a secret and what people say well, i want to know the secret but well, we already know the secret is just being able to understand what that is so yeah well that sounds fascinating and today should be interesting too because you had were for i think you told me about this signal a bunch of years ago but it's called the wow signal and it's a signal that we've detected coming to earth and what yeah. you've shared is there's actually more than one. And you said there's even possibly thousands that we're picking up now. And I did a little bit of research on that. And this is kind of linked to Project Bright Star when you sent balloons. I can't remember how many balloons you put up there, but up to 400,000 feet. And so part of the technology on there was to receive those signals and to measure the magnetic uh, sphere of the Earth. 
Yeah, the 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 Bright Star project. Uh, I put up forty seven balloons all together, and um, that they had uh, devices on them uh, from uh, photo to some infrared, uh, a lot of radio signals, uh, measure of course humidity and all that stuff from that height, and then uh, to receive uh, certain signals. Uh, it's just not the receiving signals from outside of space. It's uh, understanding what the magnetic uh, signals are inside of space. A lot of the magnetic flexes and the, the noises of the earth, things like that, that I listen to and measure them and try to make sense of them and how they um, incorporate in, into our earth. So, yeah, there's a lot, lot into the Bright Star project. And still uh, receiving information from that and and and, um, uh, and processing that and bringing the information to the public. Uh, somebody just gave me cup of hot water so uh, that's what i was drinking without tea so that's good okay so what do you what do you want to chat about today i know there's a few things uh you put some stuff on ancient echoes and it talked uh, i thought it was very interesting it was about perceiving the fourth dimension from 3d and the video shows the example of what life would be like from a 2d person trying to experience the third dimension and in your talks you've talked about that a little bit so what do you what do you want to start by talking about today do you want to talk about the wow signal and what you yeah. know about it or i, I think that, that that goes along with the topic i put those out there so they can understand what i'm talking today if you watch those videos and trying to uh, figure out what i'm saying today because most people have a hard, really hard time what i'm saying they say well it's interesting but i don't understand what you're doing so this is kind of what's going on is that uh we're looking for a a, a flat signal uh that we call it the wow signal. that's one of the thousands of signals that we see. And they're trying to identify that signal into a, uh, a notable or audible uh, understanding of uh, what that message is. Um, if we are getting signals from another civilization or another uh, planet nearby, uh, we have to understand what we're really looking at. Uh, it's not gonna be an ABC um, um, a signal, and it might not even be in the understanding of the English language or even part of the philosophy of the English language. We have to understand what that is. And of course, as a scientist, we, we want to try to, as, as their scientists and our scientists, what would be the most notable thing? And a lot, a lot of the scientists said was hydrogen. Uh, hydrogen is a common uh, signal that has a certain radio frequency that it will be matched. And if the other civilization uh, has any intelligence that we have intelligence, they're gonna send something in the hydrogen band. Yes and no. Uh, that depending on what we think of that evolution is. Uh, if we're talking at least uh, 30,000 years more of our, of our technology, uh, we're not gonna, the um, audible signal is not gonna be even making sense to us. So we'd be looking at a slit band of something, but uh, we're only thinking of that as a one dimensional. So uh, most bands that I ever picked up, they're three dimensional, four dimensional uh, signals. That means that there's um, uh, signal, signals are compressed inside of signals. And those signals, um, if you use a mathematical formula to, um, to understand them, you can come up with a 3D concept of that signal. So uh, if you're looking at uh, the hydrogen band and you put it through like a three-dimensional, four-dimensional form, and it looks entirely different or unrecognizable on our part. Uh, if the, anybody is advanced, and we keep on thinking that um, how would you send a signal 
uh, would you say, uh, back to the 1800s? Who, who would pick that mess up, message up? And then at that time, they're not listening to space. So um, what would that signal look like? Um, people say it was crop circles. Well, possibly, but again, you need to be ahead to have some discernment from those um, signals. You have to have something that's recognizable to that civilization. And, and the people or the, um, the one that's sending it has to understand the civilization they're sending it to. Um, if you looked on some of those um, quasars and the, um, the um, high burst of um, uh, signals out there, uh, minute signals, they, they happened close to uh, 10 billion years ago. So it's like us, okay, we're advanced from the 1800s. Uh, we're gonna send a signal to another civilization that has not even got on a horse or used stone tools, even start using stone tools what's that signal going to look like? So we're going to have to have some great math here to try to figure out their advancements over the last 10 billion years. They might not even be there. So uh, the signals that we are receiving, we're thinking they, 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 we, they know who we are. Uh, uh, if the, we have civilization, we have cars, computers, um, most uh, class um, M civilizations um, have that. But what you do, you class O or class P or even a Z, that's way beyond our comprehension, even the thought process, you know? We wanna think of the, in, in the future, there's peace and no war, but we might go in the opposite direction ourselves, that there might be war and civilizations out there, next neighbor, and our comprehension is that, uh, yeah, you know, uh, in our advancement of science and understanding that uh, um, war and killing each other uh, doesn't make sense. That's, but that's our perception, how we think of things. Um, we don't think that way because we are still in war. We're still killing each other. We're still doing all the crazy things. Uh, but most of the philosophers out there that says we should have peace. It is a philosophy. It is, it is, uh, when we state that, especially with these signals, um, um, you know, the wild signal, uh, that when that first came out, that was really, really, really um, a fantastic signal. But most of the scientists at that era didn't take it too seriously. It didn't go very far in translation. Uh, you hear a lot of um, online that said, they, oh, well, we solved the wild signal and it's from this and that. Uh, you look at that and it's not, you know, they're, they're doing a hypothesis that, that they solved it. Uh, they didn't solve it uh, because if they did, that we would have more um, information on it. Um, it could, it could be a, a passing ship that was a couple of light years away, and that could be a signal from a pulse drive. Like that could be a signal from, uh, you know, a discharge from a, a, a baffle on a, on a spaceship or something. We don't know. We don't really know what that is. Um, I've uh, took the signal apart and analyzed it in 3D and stuff like that. And I get some really interesting results from it. Uh, nothing conclusive, but... Um, I'm finding that, that we are looking at these signals wrong. You know, SETI, uh, we have all these antennas uh, looking for a civilization that is uh, at least advanced, you know, and we don't hear anything. Um, uh, we hear some pop every once in a while or high frequency signals, but um, uh, anything discernible? No, we don't have anything like a, a, a spacewalk on the moon, you know. That transmission is way beyond our system right now, uh, but it's, it's, it's way out in space. 
and whoever's going to pick it up at that time um, is going to try to figure out what our language is. They might even not pick up a video um, because uh, a lot of these signals in video form, um, uh, video is really hard to uh, pick up in space because it's so complex and you need to be able to put that back in the same order to be able to make a, uh, a photograph like we are doing here. So there's a lot of uh, things in space that, uh, that kind of stops us. And uh, I put those videos out there so that we the difficulty and the understanding is not what we think. And I'm hoping today to try to answer some of them um, uh, answers and give us a little bit more direction on, on some of those signals. So the wall signal is a great signal. It's a famous signal. And uh, if you listen to it, uh, it's kind of scary, you know, but I can duplicate the signal. I, I can duplicate what how that was made. Um, it's a very uh, intense beam. Uh, the width on it is a little bit more than 72 seconds. The band width is uh, probably within uh, 18 to 19 bands. So um, in uh, looking for a audible signal or intelligence signal, that's a good, it's a good signal. Yeah, it's, it uh, meets the, the, the criteria of intelligence. It has a, 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 a whisper to it and it has a mathematical form that's put into that signal itself. What that mathematical formula is that could be just about anything. I really hadn't sat down and start working uh, on breaking that, what that signal is. Um, uh, right now, all my computers are being used uh, for the science, the STAR teachings. Uh, this is part of the STAR teachings, but um, <laughs> we have a staff of one. That's me. <laughs> so I'm the secretary and janitor and the head scientist and the boss and then I argue with myself quite a lot. So, But we here in Nova Scotia, of course, to do a teaching tonight on kind of what we're talking about. But um, uh, we've been traveling uh, all the way from London and California and all the different places. Uh, we we're in uh, Rexham, New Brunswick last night. Uh, we we're teaching there um, uh, in the evening. Had a really good response there. Um, and tonight, the venue is um, looks like it's packed. So I think um, we are going to um, uh, have a good time today. So um, I had some things written down. Hmm. So uh, on some of those signals that we're looking at now, <laughs> um, we look at some of the um, satellites that we already put in space. We put at least about 11 to 13 satellites into uh, space that's going to go to the solar system. What does that mean? Is that uh, uh, some of those uh, Voyager 1 and Voyager 2, they explored the uh, outer planets. And when they did that, uh, because of the trajectories, they couldn't get them back. So they're going to deep space. So right now, they're way beyond the, um, the uh, protection of our universe. Uh, they're into, um, I think it's called the heliosphere of, of our galaxy. They went outside of that. Uh, several, uh, uh, about a year ago, they detected uh, Voyager 2 going through that um, um, part, a high energy system. And some of the things they detected when they went through that barrier is heat. Um, it was pretty hot in that. So that means that um, the deepness of space has warmth to it. Um, if you uh, think of what that warmth was, it would be about 42 degrees um, when they went through that. And of course, the temperature dropped after that. So there's a protection around our galaxy and our, and our little universe that we are in. So there's a protection and that's from the sun. Uh, that, that 
um, field that's around our whole universe is is part of a magnetic field around the sun that makes um, uh, protects us from all the uh, bad things that's in space. Some of the bad rays and energy particles uh, kind of pushes them around. And when our our, our um, Earth does the same thing, it has a magnetic field around it. Sun has a magnetic field, but bigger, protects all the planets. So. Looking at that, and, and I, I knew about the Voyager you know, spacecraft many, many years ago, and I've done extensive um, research what they put on those. Um, of course, Carl Sagan was part of, of that uh, team and um, part of, of uh, understanding what it is. And there's a gold record on both of those um, uh, saying that, hey, we're humans. Uh, there's a record on there and um, some information that's saying that there's intelligent life on the third world. Um, I, I, I beg to differ on that one, if we're still killing each other. Uh, but it, it is, it's a record. So we're hoping, you know, I'm making fun of this, I'm hoping that the aliens have a record player. <laughs> so, <laughs> because part of the an understanding that is that you're gonna have to put on a record player. So we should, we should have sent a record player with the record. So it was like getting this disc and what the heck am I gonna do with this, you know? So, but it has instructions how, how to, uh, to listen to this thing. Um, so when Voyager 1 went out, uh, I, I read the papers. There was many papers in the National Science uh, magazines and uh, there's a lot of works that went out. There was one work that went out that I was very interested that nobody's never noticed. I, was, uh, I didn't have time to put up the links on that, but I will find the links so people can uh, read this is when NASA put the Voyager spacecraft together, uh, they work with Sony. I don't know if you know who Sony is. Uh, Sony is a electronics company. And part of that electronics company is that they wanted to know um, uh, beyond that heliosphere is that if there's a, um, any more, that heliosphere is blocking um, signals from coming in. And how that is done, is that uh, um, they match the, uh, um, the radio frequencies, uh, probably about 25,000 radio signals inside our galaxy, inside of where we are, and to see if they can detect our Earth uh, through, the, uh, through, uh, through the radio signals. So part of the, when they, before they got to that history, the outer part, they turned part of the space, uh, spacecraft around and, and, and Pointed, kind of try to point it in, in that direction to see if we can hear anything from the Earth. Sure enough, uh, there was um, very weak signals uh, that was coming from our direction. And <laughs> this is the strange part, and I'm, I'm sure that NASA is not going to publish this, is that they heard our Earth, of course, um, but they heard other things. Uh, they heard um, um, other signals. Uh, they thought the signals was emitting from the sun itself, and signals does have a a a a, a signature signal to it. But uh, it, uh, I was trying to find uh, this uh, yesterday, uh, trying to find that signal, and it kind of sounds like um, a, um, a whale call, and uh, that whale call was really really intense for about thirty seconds, and it kept switching off and on, switching off and on. So. That's that show that had intelligent uh, origin to it, and but they couldn't connect it to the Earth. 
And they were trying to figure out, I said, where is this signal coming? Maybe it's coming from a satellite. Uh, maybe it's coming from Mars or, there, or even the, the probes around Mars or any other one, any other satellites out there. But they couldn't match it up. Uh, out of um, 300,000 signals, they, they couldn't find one signal that was man-made that would even match that. So part of, remember, this was back in the early uh, 80s and when it was launched. So they, they couldn't figure out where this signal was coming from. So, but if they looked directly back uh, of the sun uh, with this big heliosphere that was acting like a radar dish, uh, it was coming from a uh, part of Sagittarius. So the wild signal, they, they figured that that signal was coming from Sagittarius in that air, in that vicinity. So they measured that out. So uh, NASA, NASA published a paper in the early 90s calling, calling uh, what are we hearing? And that's like, uh, what are we hearing in space? And it was a very precise document. Uh, I was trying to pull it up online. I couldn't find it in the NASA's research. But if you guys out there, you might be able to find it. Um, so uh, when the Apollo program, uh, before that, um, a lot of the uh, astronauts were reporting whistles in space. Uh, part of those whistles um, were, um, of course, going through a magnetic field. You have a tendency that your spacecraft, uh, if you have a wire or anything on the outside, it will uh, uh, work in the resonance of the magnetic field. It's like, um, it's like a, uh, you're acting a, like a generator. Part of that generator, you're going through a magnetic field. If you uh, uh, take a copper wire and go at a 90 degree as a copper wire, uh, you're producing electricity. Uh, part of that is that, uh, that when they went through that, they were producing some sort of electricity. So they was receiving something from that. So uh, through a magnetic field, but uh, some, some of the magnetic fields from the earth, uh, sun, things like that, uh, they don't have a whistle, they're more hum. So whatever they were de detecting, uh, and I was trying to figure out um, uh, many years ago when I was in the, uh, San Francisco and the aircraft carrier, the Enterprise were there and they were leaving and I happened to have my, some of my equipment, very primitive equipment up and they went through the, they went, because it's such a massive object, uh, there's, there's a lot of steel and iron and things like that. They went through uh, what they call a magnetic flux, uh, what I was measuring. And it whistled. My, my, my equipment started whistling when the thing went by. It's because I was uh, throwing at such a magnetic field. It was interacting with my field. And it was at a 90 degree angle. And I was picking up 9 to 10 volts when it was going by. So that's incredible. Um, it has our own magnetic field around it. <laughs> and it was detectable. The astronauts, uh, when they went to the moon, <laughs> this wasn't the only time. Uh, they had a lot of missions. And, and, and a lot of the missions, they, they reported uh, with their radio equipment they have, they, they re reported uh, strange sounds coming through their radio. Um, their scientists, uh, well, the cover is their scientists just wrote it off to um, atmosphere that they didn't uh, recognize. But some of the signals they recorded and uh, kept in the archive. Um, back in the uh, probably 96 or 97, the, one of the people that worked for NASA, uh, revealed a part of uh, these signals and they kind of sound like um, um, radio signals, muffled radio signals, but they weren't coming from our Earth, they were coming from outside of our uh, um, galaxy, so they're coming in. So 
looking at that, you would look at this paper and not really recognize what it is. Uh, it just looks like a, some sort of disturbance. I find that uh, uh, now that when I'm looking at uh, what's going on uh, in NASA and in some of the other researches of uh, high altitude um, you know, rockets they've been doing, uh, they've been um, uh, noting uh, thousands of different other signals. So when uh, Voyager 2 went through that uh, barrier first, um, that uh, NASA didn't realize is that when they recorded that, they released this to the public. Uh, they released three minutes to the public. And you don't really hear it on the first signal, but my discriminators picked up some sort of um, other signal that was coming through that were picking up on the same frequency. I analyzed that signal, signal and I came up with um, ones and zeros at least four or five hundred thousand within two seconds um i was i went back to my recording and tried to uh, uh, get them clearer uh and this, this is not my device is nasa's device but they put it through the machine um, they put it through um uh, they, they released it and then there was a big discovery and stuff like that but they didn't realize what they released uh, so i went back to nasa's site and, and trying to look through the voyager most of that stuff was wiped out uh, that was shut off uh, there's one little thing there that said, oh, be more information there. I tried to go back and look at that recording, and I could not find it. Uh, they, they, of course, they took it offline. And I was waiting for the, the last couple of weeks them to recently release something for this, the second Voyager to go through. Uh, they released um, a press release. There was no uh, sound this time. So I was hoping that I would get more information. Uh, through the transmission, uh, through that signal, that was coming through what they were doing, um, my balloons are not sense enough to, to be, uh, it's like trying to record a, um, a probably a watch, um, ticking, electronic watch ticking. That's the equipment's not sensitive to pick up that. And that's what the signal that we're looking for. It's less than a watch signal. There's probably a volt and a half. I don't have that much sense equipment to put up. Uh, I can detect what I can detect is a Volkswagen. If it was on the other other uh, parts of the space, I haven't detected the Volkswagen, so maybe Mercedes. <laughs> but um, looking at the the wall signal, and you know, I said, well, maybe maybe I should go back and take a look at that because uh, I have some pretty real recordings uh, of that. It said it's, it's uh, 72 seconds, but um, what I have is a minute, uh, a little bit more than a minute and 40 seconds. Because when it first turns on and turns off, uh, if you listen to the, the transmission at the end of it, after the signal itself, the clicks and, and all the other things are there, um, I'm getting some sort of um, uh, intelligence from that because it is a, a binary code that's there. Um, I, I can't see, I can't find it repeating but I'm looking more into that signal. And um, I just um, upgraded all my computers the last uh, two or three months. Uh, we're still getting uh, those computers back online to start computing. Uh, my other computers all went down because the computing power, I, I used up all the memory. So these ones here, I have a little bit more terabytes on these. So I'm, I'm working um, to analyze the, the Brightstar uh, information that's coming through uh, because um, a lot of that has to be keyed back in. And most of my um, CDs that I had uh, this information stored on, uh, they, they, they have water damage. So I have to go, I have to uh, 
those uh, 62,000 CDs, I have to you know, clean them all up and um, re-enter them in the computer. So that's time consuming. But we have somebody that might help us to do that and, and uh, get that information. I'm really excited to get that information because um, in what uh, NASA is saying now, that the, they say the, the, they're detecting something, but they're not saying what they're detecting. They said it's, it's an interesting signal what they're, they're listening to. I've been listening to that signal, the same signal what they listened to for the last 40 years. It was my primitive equipment. Uh, when I first started to the Bright Star Project, uh, probably 30 some odd years ago, I, I worked in primitive rockets. Uh, my rockets were solid rockets. I will put, uh, put them up close to um, not even 10 miles up and, and try to get the signals through there. But my, my, my equipment at that time was primitive. I went to uh, better rockets. I went to uh, gasoline rockets. I went propane rockets. And finally went down and ended up going to back to what they call a gel rocket. Uh, that's a solid rocket, but the fuel is a gel. Uh, it, it can carry more. But again, all this stuff is very expensive and time consuming to do. Uh, on the rocket uh, part of it, that I failed a lot because um, putting a rocket together is like putting a bomb together, an organized bomb. And hopefully that you're going to put a tape recorder on top of that and some information and put it up uh, at least 20 miles. I think the, the farthest one was like 22 miles. So, and uh, with that arc, when you're up there, you have probably a little bit more than 28 seconds to 30 seconds to receive signals, then it comes back down. So, and I started moving, I started working with weather balloons. Uh, my sister used to work at the weather balloon place to get some of the weather balloons and then I put the weather balloons up. But again, the payload um, with the, all the information, especially what I, the, some of the um, uh, electronics I was using, very heavy. And so I was putting 12 to 15 pounds up into the atmosphere, at least 80 to 90,000 feet at that time. But a rubber balloon will only go up so far and freeze and then it would break. So I tried everything. I, I coated the balloon with styrofoam, all the different things that try to make uh, the, the balloon uh, more sturdier in space. I spent at least 15 to 20 years on just the balloon technology and just putting balloons up. You would think it'd be obvious that uh, the rubber would not work, but I, I experimented with a lot of with different rubbers, rubbers uh, um, um, combinations on how to put those together. I manufactured my own fabric for a while. But again, it gets expensive, and, you, you, and plus you have to work and do all that stuff. And, and with me, this was not a hobby. Uh, this was a more of a passion, trying to figure out what that signal is. And I'm still on that. Uh, several years ago, uh, probably within five to ten years, uh, I developed an, another uh, product um, uh, material that, um, that uh, took pressure very well in heat and cold. And uh, we developed that material into a workable balloon and a, a workable structure. Uh, the, the balloon itself uh, is not round. Uh, the it's a, a certain structure. Uh, it's a, it was a magnetic material and, and um, a, a material that can conduct electricity, a magnetic field around it. Uh, to put a balloon up in the air, um, you can fill it up with helium and let it go, and, but it will have will reach what they call it, uh, distance of buoyancy. Uh, that means it's like a ship. Uh, the reason why an ocean liner could be on the ocean, it has a buoyancy to it. That means it has some sort of resistance to the water. 
a regular balloon, if you just fill up with helium, uh, you probably can go up to 200,000 feet before the buoyancy takes over. That means the pressure will equal outside the balloon itself. Um, the um, space is a vacuum, so it will, the most balloons will sit on, on top of our atmosphere and won't go any farther uh, because of that buoyancy and, and part of the gravity holding it there and the electrical magnetic charge. So in order to get to the buoyancy itself, your balloon has to have some sort of propulsion system to it or a resistance to a magnetic field. So what I do is uh, I have a, um, a um, probably a 30,000 uh, bolt capacitors in these things, and they're very small, they're, there's three of them, and uh, the electric charge goes up and charges the balloon on the side because it's a metal fabric on the outside, and it makes up a magnetic field, a resistance magnetic field to the atmosphere. And that pushes, and um, I, I guess, um, what I call it is a pulse magnetic compulsion. And that means it's, it's pushing away from the magnetic field. And, and, I, and I can reach another 80,000 or 90,000 feet from that. But uh, from that uh, point, 200,000, uh, that's a little bit more than 87 miles, I guess. Uh, I can push electrically uh, out of the atmosphere from that. And I don't need to go 17,000 miles an hour to break the um, Earth's um, um, gravity uh, because the Earth itself is going 17.2 miles an hour. So if the balloon's up there whirling around, that's, uh, you're in the atmosphere, you're, 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 the Earth uh, brings it up to that speed instead of you having a propulsion system. The magnetic field only pushes it out further. Uh, and of course, that, that takes time and it takes a lot of um, effort to do that. And you can't go up there and see if it working. Uh, it, uh, everything goes through the electronics and cameras and it goes through uh, a, a system that we are uh, working on that tell what it's doing. Um, I put up uh, successfully probably 17 balloons with that uh, magnetic propulsion on it and it works fine. Um, the only problem is, is uh, when you're up there, you're reaching 60 to below zero in the shade and probably close to 130 degrees in the sun. So you get two different temperatures. And uh, you need an electrical system and you, and you need some sort of uh, heating system to uh, heat the electronics and the cameras so they don't all freeze. And that takes all time and effort to do. Uh, we got most of the bugs worked out on that. Uh, we are working now on, on constructing a balloon. Uh, a, a little bit bigger balloon uh, will carry eight pounds. If you looked at some of the videos, I have an array that I put up. I see. I noticed that you put that on your um, uh, video. Uh, that had three balloons above it. That the, them are the metal balloons, and it was carrying uh, with those balloons. Uh, then one balloon will carry less than a half a pound. So there's three of those balloons, and you you think it would carry uh, six of pounds. Uh, with the mag magnetic uh, converter and pulse on there, that the, the array that I was carrying is a little bit more than eight and a half pounds. So it's carrying a lot of weight. I mean, it, it didn't, it, when you put it up there, it didn't look right because the balloons are very small and, and the array itself, that array stood eight feet and it was like 24 inches across and it had electronics and sensors in that and that brought it up to uh, quite a distance into the atmosphere. And I, I use that, um, that array for about a month and a half or close to two months on getting information. Um, that finally came down. Um, that came down in 
a, um, a <laughs> kindergarten um, playground. It scared all the heck out of the kindergartens and the teacher himself. They didn't know what else. That's how NASA was landing uh, a, um, a uh, spacecraft in their backyard. Uh, but uh, um, there was a, there's instructions on, on the balloons itself. It has an instruction and a number to call and who to report that to. And the kindergarten teacher called me and he says, is this, is this your equipment? And, and I said, yes. And I thought I was going to be really in trouble because most of the stuff that you put over at least 80,000 feet, you have to uh, follow a flight plan with the, the government. I, I didn't fly. I didn't follow any flight plan, plan at the time. Um, but he was very nice about it. Uh, I let him keep the balloons uh, because he put the balloons on display. I took the array back. And, of course, I had information from that anyway, but I had some more information in there. I took that apart. Uh, the the ray is very expensive because uh, the wire most of the wire in there because the sensor it's gold um, they didn't know that so I I recycled that back into the other balloons. I'm finding that uh, every every balloon that I put up uh, I'm getting more questions than I am answers. Uh, I'm looking for uh, certain signals and stuff like that and, and I'm some of the things I'm doing is I'm getting more signals. And, and I don't know where they're coming from. I have to identify the signals from cell phone towers to radio signals to government uh, satellites. Um, there's uh, NOAA that has uh, radar going all the time. Uh, all, all kinds of different other signals. I'm trying to figure out what the Earth signals and what space signals are. I even detect a, a um, pulsar. <laughs> I thought I, I got into a, a rock station and I can hear the and, uh, and I was looking, and on uh, my computer uh, identifies signals, and I can go into uh, Google and um, um, transfer that signal to Google and identifies that, that um, signal. And part of that signal was a pulsar, and, and that's the first pulsar that I ever detected with that machine. So that, that was incredible. Did you have more questions, Matt, before I go on? No, I'm just listening. I'm getting a whole bunch of education when before in preparing for this podcast i did some research and it was interesting to look at what's out there because the bbc talked about receiving about eight signals one of them was in canada actually um and then another article was six signals another article they had all these varying amounts of these signals um that they call fbrs or fast radio bursts yep. and in reading the articles some of the scientists are saying that they are intelligent <laughs> that they're able they they have characteristics that suggest that these are intelligent signals and in re reason to see that it's not a pulsar, it's not a planet, it's not something that they're aware of, it's something that's intelligent. So I think that that's very fascinating. So please continue. Well, those bursts, um, the, we detected those bursts um, uh, probably uh, within 22 years ago. And uh, we thought they were um, um, pulsars, uh, but uh, dying stars that was uh, just uh, uh, given their last birth out. But there were, uh, on the scale, they were really high on, on the energy scale. And they weren't, uh, when something's dying, it would do what they call a bell curve. Uh, you see a supernova or something like that, and it goes up for a long time, and it comes down to the bell curve. Uh, these weren't coming down to the bell curve. They were peaking to the high point and dropping it suddenly. And um, because of our uh, um, technology, uh, the, the only way that I can pretty figure out where they were coming from uh, on the ground, I can figure out where, the, where it's coming from in the star system. And I take a, a sextant 
and I make measurements from a section to that. And, and I, I was probably 20 light years off on uh, where they said the first one is. Uh, I detected that one 22 years ago. Uh, but they, uh, I'm, I'm trying to figure out if they come in uh, burst. Uh, that signal probably happened seven times between 22 years ago. I, I didn't do the, the third measurement. I didn't do accurately measurement on that. And I, and, I, and I detected it, but I just didn't know what it was at the time because I was looking for signals. That's what I'm doing. And there's what they call a roar signal too that's out there that they don't know where it's coming from. And that, that's, if you're doing anything in my research, I'm, I do high magnetic uh, disturbances. So I'm, with the technology I, I have that I am actually picking these up. Uh, I'm, I'm picking these signals up and cataloging them. And, um, and, and trying to make a mathematical form from these signals. Uh, my, my discriminators that I use, uh, of course, I have to use all my computing power that I own. And right now that I'm using uh, three very fast computers for those computing power, one of them is new. And I'm finding, again, uh, with these signals, uh, these are very vast signals. Uh, they, you just can't put them in a hard drive uh, right now that uh, because I have to, I can't store them on my hard drive. I am putting them in another means of uh, storage. That uh, some of the the storage, if I was going to put them on my hard drive, I need fifty thousand hard drives. <laughs> so that's a big friggin' signal. So I am putting them into a number form. Uh, so they're not exactly being stored, but they're being cataloged. So I don't know what that means. Instead of using uh, the hard drive, I'm using uh, old-fashioned ribbon tape. I don't know if that makes for you, and I can put more on a ribbon than I can on a hard drive. So, but like I said, I'm doing this alone. I got a question. Okay. Uh, well, I'm just wondering if this is a, an accurate analogy. One of the things that I saw was how whales communicate, and then they can send out a signal, and then they'll know where that whale is, you know, beyond insane distances. And so whatever signal that they send out, they would have a lot of information in a very small band. And at the beginning, you're talking about how would we communicate? We sent up a record player, but already on earth, we're so much further advanced than a record player now. And how much information, same with the first supercomputer, how much information that could hold versus now what we can do. And so is that kind of what's happening here is that this signal sent, being sent, we're able to pick them up. There's reason to believe that they are intelligent signals, not bursts. And maybe there's so much information in there to bring it down to a language you would understand is quite the task. Is that kind of what you're explaining in a lot yeah. of words? So the first video that I put out uh, is talking about two, uh, three-dimensional, four-dimensional, one-dimensional, flat-dimensional. So uh, we are, as humans, our intelligence, we are receiving it in a flat digital form. Do you understand that? Uh, they compress signals at least 100,000 in two seconds. So that there's a compressed signal that's going in there, and we're only recording the surface of it. So it, we, we only, uh, it's like a, uh, using your iPod to get the first letter, no, to get all the A's in, in the song. It's not going to make sense without all the other information. I think this, uh, the um, SETI scientists know this. Uh, they've uh, uh, reconfigured their um, uh, um, sensors and, and their dishes uh, to work uh, correspondently with the rotation of the earth to pick up the signal. So when that burst comes through, there's only probably two 
sites that can pick it up uh, and uh, receive and, and, and store the information. So now they're working with the, uh, with the rotation of the earth. So when that comes around for that signal, that antenna is picking it up and, and, and in a period of a week, they can pick up all the signal. So when that signal hits us, one antenna can't pick it up. They can hear it, but uh, with the information that's coming through, uh, they, can not one, they, they don't have enough computers to put that in. But with all the other satellite dishes working, they can pick up at least the signal and store it and put it and, and, and make it part of the, um, analyze it, try to figure out what it, what it says. So in looking, um, I, I try not to get on Facebook or any of the things, but I, I work, look at NASA, things like that. Uh, they said NASA's covering things up. Um, I don't think right now that uh, they are a pretty strong um, organization, but there's enough uh, other uh, independent organizations out there that we are working with now on gathering that information. NASA has great information, great antennas and satellites, but uh, we are catching up really quick on that. So uh, I think within six months, um, if I can sit down at least uh, two or three weeks, and go through my information, I, I can come up with A and B <laughs> in that signal. I looked at that um, uh, coming here and I said, wow, that's, I, I think I can come up with a binary on this. It's, uh, it looks that simple. I'm um, not simple, but simple enough to have an understanding of the basics of what they're sending us. Um, I'm not sure what they're sending us. Uh, they could be just sending us for um, a recipe for to cook us up, <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, they could say that our warships are in your in your vicinity, so surrender, uh, take us to your leader, or they could be asking us uh, what color our shoes are. I don't know. So uh, with the wall signal itself, I looked at that, and uh, it's a preliminary uh, alphabet, uh, what is coming through, the alphabets of 32-bit uh, alphabet, uh, that what I figured out, and uh, I've been... Um, trying to test that over and over to see if any of the signals that I received, uh, I can match that with, with uh, deciphering uh, what they're sending. Um, so our helios field around the whole, uh, the sun, that's, a, that's at least a couple of billion miles out there, uh, that blocks a lot of the radio signals that's coming through. Uh, radio signals can be blocked by a piece of paper if it's angled. Um, now, so, Part of our helix field that protects us, uh, the strongest point is, uh, of course, that uh, we're orbiting the uh, Milky Way. Part of that orbit is uh, we look like a, a, um, a comet going through space or like a radio signal. So that signal is uh, be, being deflected on both sides of that wake, and we're probably receiving 1% of 1% of a signal. So we have all our SETI's dishes up there. We're receiving just that 1%. The stronger radio signals are not coming through. Um, the intelligent life on the outside knows this now. So they've been sending these um, high energy bursts through that healer's field. And um, if our cell phones is uh, sensitive, we might be able to pick it up. I haven't figured that out yet, but I'm sure that that signal is uh, a very audible signal just through a, a short band radio. Uh, some of the, uh, the um, Dishes out there, that's a very, they say that uh, if you scratch your back, they can figure out the static from you, from scratching. So um, with this signal that's being, these uh, high energy signals going on, like I said, uh, they're more intense, but we need just a little more intense 
um, uh, machinery and hardware to receive it. But it is hitting our Earth. It is, it, well, I'm, I'm detecting it at, a, at, at the Earth's um, level. So the balloon that's, that's going to go up here in a, in a month or so, um, hopefully that I'm going to time it just right for that signal. And there's probably about four signals going to happen within three days of each other. And, um, and I'm going to be, the thing in the balloon is going to be being deflect and um, bring that information to a computer system I have on the ground so I can store that. Um, the storage is a more of an experimental storage um, to uh, pick up signals. It's a copper gold disc and the disc is probably um, 18 inches round. Uh, it's, a, it's a layered of um, a copper, uh, gold and silver and the, uh, the disc itself um, has been folded over I would say 18 times, that's 18 times, 18 to the 10th power. That's how many layers on that. And uh, that's gonna store a magnetic uh, frequency into it. And, uh, and I should be able to um, store all the signal in that copper disc. So um, I'm still working on that. So uh, a lot of it just takes time and uh, experimentation to pick that signal up. Holy crap. Sounds like something out of Star Trek. That's why I have the Star Trek behind me. And it's interesting too, though, if you just think about, you know, trying to wrap my head around what you're saying and, and a lot of it, what you talk about is, is very fascinating. And even some of the things that you've talked about and I, when I do my own research, I see that either we've experimented with it, um, things like, uh, you know, anti-gravity, time travel, stuff like that, those concepts. And I know a person personally that I'll, leave nameless um but he's so smart he's actually working on that right now and um is, is smart enough to make big leaps and if we were to go back just 50 years and imagine the society that we're in now it would be incomprehensible and i often think about the uh, exponential evolution of technology <clears throat> you know i look in my first video game was um atari so right now we have pretty good virtual reality enough that it scares my mom when the tyrannosaurus comes and she has to take the thing off and freak out and so if that's the atari version where the heck are we going to be in 50 years how is technology going to work what's humanity going to be like it's a very fascinating thing to think about and what i'm curious about is <clears throat> you said that the intelligence on the other side knows that we're not receiving the signal so you're you does that mean that when you first were picking up the signal or the research in doing it, the signal has now changed so that we're able to receive more of that information. And the other question that I wanted to ask is, do you have any idea where it's coming from, who's sending it, what their intention would be? And the last thing that I'm gonna throw in there is, why do you think it's so dense? Do you think that it's they're sending so much information, like I'm giving you all of, all of the encyclopedias of Earth and there's just so much information in there or that the technology is so advanced, that's just how they send it and it's just got more information in it? Well, I think a lot of it's understanding. Um, we, we, if we are able now to go back to the 1800s and send a signal saying that we exist in your future or we exist outside of your atmosphere or something. Um, I think of that technology at that time uh, would be cellular records uh, wax records, um, vinyl records, um, telegraph, uh, a very primitive computer that was built in England that, uh, that can uh, store some electrical charge to it. Uh, 
is trying to understand what they who who on that end is going to pick it up. You know, if you send a signal through their wires, copper wires, and you can do enough bursts through a magnetic charge to uh, run electricity through wire from a long distance away. Tesla has uh, worked with that quite a lot. Um, is that on the receiving end, uh, uh, say the telegraph receiver receives this message and receives a jumbled message, but some sort of um, technology to it, but it wasn't received from the other sender. It was received somewhere in the middle. Uh, how are we going to discern that? Um, the most telegraph people are not science people. You would think they'd be, but they're just uh, uh, a very uh, organized uh, text message people that only use one finger to text message instead of all the thumbs and things like that. Um, we we have to have somebody on this earth that knows what they're sending. Um, uh, scientists are sometimes too logical in, in their uh, um, assumptions of a signal. So we are looking uh, for somebody that has a little bit of understanding of the physics of spiritual science and realizing that this is a signal. It's not made for us scientists. It's not made for the people of war, but it's made for the community of this earth. But how are we going to do that? And if the scientists pick it up and they get this message and they, and they analyze it, they're going to take it. Uh, they're not going to put it to the proper um, com uh, communities to use. Uh, what you this was a, a, a instructions to a starship or a nuclear weapon or some sort of other extraordinary weapon or a starship that can reach them. Uh, who's going to uh, discern that and, and how does that um, uh, relate to our Earth and who's going to get the information? So as humans that we send a signal back to the 1800s, uh, what are we going to send them? Um, what, what would really send them? I mean, um, what would you want to say? And, you know, I don't know. Um, are, are you, is anybody intelligent there, you know? And the receiver is going to read that and think it was a ghost in, the, in their line or something. And that's kind of what's happening here. Um, our age is um, filled with electronics and signals. Um, I, when I put my balloons up, I have to work uh, two or three weeks to to discriminate all the signals that are not are out of space, is inner space. So they probably have to do the same thing. That who on the planet is intelligent, you know, or or even reach the supposedly higher consciousness? None of us, you know. So they might be sending us a a signal on how to get along, how to, to, uh, to decipher the signal through all the uh, civilization. As Americans, I guess, we think we're the smartest ones, but there's other beings on this earth that's smarter too. Maybe they're trying to reach them and we're just picking up the signal. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I mean, um, as a scientist, I can tell you about all kinds of fanciness and physics and everything else, but again, who's going to receive all this information and, and do anything with it? Like what, what's happening now? If um, uh, what would you do with the information uh, if you had the signal, uh, or even had a blueprint on how to uh, incorporate peace? What would you do with it, or what would you do with it? Some people would say, "Oh, well, I know what to do with it," but when it comes down to doing something, uh, we're not going to do anything because um, uh, I don't want to be proved a fraud, or I don't want to prove I'm getting signals from out of space and trying to put those together. You know. Uh, sounds great and fantastic, but when it comes down and it's like, yeah, we're getting signals, it's exciting, but what are we going to do with them? You know, um, some people say, I just want to know the 
truth. Well, even knowing the truth, you're still not going to do anything. Um, and and as a, as a teacher of, of um, this part of the spiritual science, um, I I bump into this every day. It's like, and then I put that question out there that we we have that technology from the copper scrolls to bring um, part of understanding the communities. And we, you wouldn't believe that people just say, oh, great. And they walk away. We never see them again. But they've been asking the last you know, couple of years, how are we going to do it? Well, I don't want to do that. Let's do something else. Let's uh, rub some crystals and, 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 and contact Gaia or something. But it's like any information that's coming from the outside of the source has to be informational. It has to be something that we can do with it. It shouldn't be something, oh, I feel this or feel that. Um, I have a thousand people that approach me every day on, on that. So, oh, I feel this, this, we should. Well, do it then. There's, you don't need me to do this. If the signal is coming to you, go out and do it. And, but we don't do that. We, we watch the Facebook and all the different science. And I get kind of mad about that. It's like, I'm practicing real science. You know, I'm putting things together. I'm looking for information. I, I, I am... I'm working with other scientists. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not a pseudoscience. Uh, the things that I do uh, put together, they do work. Uh, I, I put them to the public. Um, some, some of the other things that I'm, I'm working uh, with other countries on, uh, on trying to figure out how, uh, how to clean their water. I'm working with other towns to bring residents to their uh, communities and and bring residents to uh, the people of the earth. You know, I'm actually doing something. You know, yeah, you hear me on the on this quite a lot, but, but as you know, that I'm always gone or doing something. If I'm not here, um, I'm going to be in my lab, I'm putting some of this stuff I'm telling you together and trying to make use of it. The information that I receive, I'm putting that into useful things that we can use. Um, maybe it be might be a cell phone for peace. I don't know so but it's like anything else it's like i, I know what i'm doing uh, i've been trained in the science and i've been trained in a lot of different things and i am trying to put a practical use for the communities for this but it, but it's a daunting <laughs> task because uh, most people don't want to do anything honestly they just want to just sit around okay let's let's see what you have um if we are going to do something uh, in this earth with this information uh, we should be able to discern it and Put it in a practical use. Um, my apologies for ramping. So that's all right. Well, <laughs> this is this is a lot for me to handle. I wish that I had a, a scientist beside me that could maybe ask you a higher quality question. Um, I recently watched the Joe Rogan with Commander Fravor, and he's the commander that had videoed the UFO <laughs> and uh, caught it on film, and it's over all over YouTube. It's a very fascinating episode i encourage people to check that out and what's interesting about it is it it has the same information and it's aligned with what bob lazar was saying and one of the concepts that he shared was um bob lazar working in s1 or s7 whatever it was area 51 and saying this technology is so far beyond what we are but if we can reverse engineer that we'll kind of we'll be ahead of the game we'll be the we'll be the superpower whoever gets this Technology first is going to be the superpower. And if you look at human civilization, that's actually what's happened is that it was an advancement in warfare. And that's how these big civilizations conquered another civilization was advancement in warfare always. And so a technology like this would be some another advancement in warfare. And one of the analogies that I liked, I think it was uh, I'm going to butcher his name. I apologize. I think it's like 
uh, something Miyakaku. Is it Michael Miyakaku? What's his name? I should know that. Yeah, um, but I have enough name too. Yeah, um, but he, he used the example of just being like you know the type one, two, and three civilization. And if you were an extraterrestrial or advanced civilization looking at Earth, it would be like ten-year-olds uh, or teenagers driving the fastest Ferrari. Like you don't want to give them guns and weapons and things because they're very violent. It's like these primitive creatures using weapons to kill each other and then kill more people so that they can control the rest of them. It's a very violent uh, species. But where I'm going with this is if these uh, ships are here, and that's what Commander Fravor was saying, is that they were coming in and out, and that since he released his story, that so many other military personnel are now telling him stories because they don't want to be the weirdos, and they keep it to themselves. So he's getting all these different stories, and I've heard you and Clifford and uh, my friend Carlos talk about these civilizations being here now. So what if that signal is actually being sent to a uh, species that's more intelligent than us? They're They're using the signal. They're um, connecting to it and, and we're just trying to get to that level is it anything like that because I've heard you say before we're not the big and bad here so maybe it's just something we're picking up that's not even for us well um, there's close to 30,000 signals hitting us right now uh, through uh, radar through cell phones through other uh, radio means uh, we don't really understand them how come we don't pick that up now why is these signals so important uh, you know, the CIA picks, uh, they have um, places all over the globe picking up signals on you and your cell phone and everything else. And they're discerning information or threats or whatever they we think they're spying on us. Maybe so. But why um, now are we uh, worried about these signals uh, that, or even um, interest in these signals? It's because that our world is changing really rapidly. Uh, politics, religion, all the different things that's out there, that's out there that we, kind of scares us. Our, our financial system, uh, we talk about our president and things like that, you know, um, and we, we try to put that blame on something else. And um, maybe uh, the powers to be, and I, uh, you heard me say this, the powers to be on this earth, but nobody's ever questioned what that really means. I'm not saying the United States, I'm not saying Canada, the, when I say the powers to be, I've been talking for eight years, the same thing. When the powers to be, <clears throat> let us know what's really going on. What are we going to do? Are we going to go? Uh, we can riot all we want. I see there's, there's riots in the world, but that riot will go away in, in a couple of months. And we'll forget about what we're uh, shaking our fist at and things like that. As humans, um, uh, our stride in, in, uh, in intelligence and spiritual intelligence um, I bumped into this. I uh, bumped into this last night uh, when, when I'm talking. I bump into it when I'm speaking all around the world. When I talk about spiritual intelligence, uh, that has a lot to do with signals from space, um, with uh, your everyday occurrence, on all the different things that's going on in the world. When we make a strive in that, and then that spiritual intelligence, the things will change. Uh, our thought process will change. It won't be higher consciousness. It would be like okay. Uh, maybe I don't need to work 30 years from a job and, and close everything off and just be one of the boys or one of the girls or something like that. Maybe in the community sense, uh, the physical and spiritual sense, that we can honestly work together as humans. We can honestly agree that there's a God, there's no God, uh, and 
not really get too emotional about it because uh, a lot of people that come up to me, uh, they want to convert me or do something. I said, you're smart. You should know this stuff. There is a God, which, fine. That, that, I'm not saying there's not a God, but I am happy with what I know now. I don't know everything, honestly. Um, but I know that uh, there is a, some sort of creator out there. Uh, it may not be what we wrote about in books or even believe in. Uh, but there is an intelligent source out there. Everything points in that direction from the smallest molecule to uh, physics to uh, E equals MC squared to everything that we are doing now. But we're not looking in that direction for a spiritual freedom. We are looking for a truth. And I said, I want to be, I want the truth. But um, part of that truth is that is knowing what you know now. We know hardly nothing really about um, you know, we have 100,000 people believing there's a God up there. Right? That, and to me, they said, that should be proof to you. No, that's not proof to me. That's just proving that we're not looking hard enough. Uh, we're not uh, going really understanding what we're doing. Um, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. Um, I, I can't say there's a God. I can't say there's not a God. But I know that what's real to me that we're still killing each other by the groves uh there's still strife up there in our governments our financial systems you know and we're blame, trying to blame that on a single person or something else what about us what are we doing um are we still sitting our ceremony you know i tell people what, what is the biggest ass this is the one that you see and that's usually me <laughs> you know and people don't understand that it's like all right um and a lot of that is just I guess, um, you know, when I go to London and do all that stuff, and it's, it seems glamorous, oh, yeah, you're going around the world to speak. But uh, a majority of people that I speak to are not listening to what, exactly what I'm saying. When I say the powers to be, we think of the government, we think of all the things, but there is more that meets the eye here. When I say the power to be, we're not the big and bad. I, I said that. And... A lot of things that if you look in your history and all the different things out there, there's a lot of things that we can talk about because we don't know about it. You know, we talk about UFOs and I think that people send me videos and, oh, this is a UFO and I'm looking at it and it's thousands of videos, the same thing. It's like, okay, there's lights in the sky, there's CGI, there's all the different things. What should I discern or even believe? You know, I could, I could, I could make a business on uh, uh, people sending me UFOs, me looking at them and saying, oh, yeah, that's a UFO. Of course it's a UFO, it's unidentified. Uh, if you look on the drones now, what they can do, my goodness, is how the discernment is hard. But uh, if we do that study just a little bit more, just like the Tic Tac uh, UFOs and things like that, um, most people that want to know that truth is uh, bringing these photos out. Uh, there's a demand in the government to release this, so they had to release something. Now, what you see in that picture, I, I took that picture, that's, they, they, um, they screwed with the picture. Uh, uh, they made it blurry, they made it so uh, you couldn't really see it. So the actual one that um, I've seen on my, my camera, it looks like a, a, a tic-tac that is probably big as a house. So. I can see this. Nobody tampered with my film. Why did they tamper with that film? It's because to, to, to put question in your mind. It's like, okay, 
you're not seeing the, you're not seeing this thing travel 5,000 miles an hour. And I measured uh, the last uh, five years that I've been measuring uh, the volume and, and how, what, what are they what are they using for a propulsion? I have enough in my balloons now to pick that up, and nobody's uh, governing me for for um, uh, to say they don't really set. But I'm I'm using the magnetic all the different um, sensors I could, and I can I can pretty well figure out where they went. They they they, they may be um, more advanced in propulsion, but they have to leave a trail. I mean. If you're using electricity, if you're using the Earth's field, you have to leave a trail. You know, we look at the, the, the jets, trails, we look at all the, you know, even the snail, the slowest thing there on the world leaves a trail. These are no different. They have a postal system, but we just don't know how to track them. Uh, I've been, the last several years, I figured out how to track them a little bit more. Not all of them, but I can figure out that they have to compress air through through a volume of electrical fields, and that's traceable. It's called vortexes. Ships leave it when they are uh, in the water, uh, and they leave it for hours on end after. Uh, during the Second World War, they some of the trackers of the submarines and the bigger battleship they track these wakes in the water because the vortexes were still going on hours after. These ships or these uh, things are no different. They leave a vortex, a magnetic vortex, that you can, you just can't see them uh, um, with a regular camera. Uh, people look at that and they don't realize that um, they're looking at a technology, but again, it has to move. It has to be pushed somehow. So, and, and the technology is a bit more advanced, but it is traceable with the right equipment. Uh, with the Tic Tac ones, what I notice in my films is that uh, they always travel two or three other smaller Tic Tacs. And I'm trying to figure out what that was all about. It's like, all right, um, uh, because of the advancement of the speed, I measured some of the speed on these things and they don't defy physics. Um, but so it defies physics. No, it don't only defies physics if there's a human inside of that thing and it takes up about 5,000 miles an hour. Uh, they'll, you know, they'll make jello of you unless they have a way to contain a um, gravity field inside of a field. They have a name for that, I can't quite remember what it is. If they, if they can do that, nobody, they're gonna go 50,000 miles an hour, it wouldn't make a difference. And at the 90 degree angle, still doesn't make a difference. They don't defy the law of physics, they stay in that law of physics. And that's why I know these things are true. When people put extraordinary claims on these things, uh, I kind of question that then, it's like, okay, um, uh, tracking something and it, and it goes at a 90 degree angle and it still hasn't lost speed. Um, it does lose speed, uh, but we just not, can't detect it. It, it loses four tenths of a, uh, a mile every time it turns that regains it. So what on the earth can uh, have a propulsion system like that? Uh, if we look at a pulsar, um, a pulsar is a collapse Nova supernova, the, uh, the density could be 10 times as our sun, and it collapses down to probably about uh, 20 miles across. Uh, and it's a highly magnetic uh, charge, and it's got fields upon fields, and it's very, very um, magnetic. And part of that, they call it a neutron star. It's a, um, it strips away all the neutrons and compresses them. 
if you had a piece of that, um, or even know how to make that, uh, you're you take uranium, uh, you get one pound uranium, uh, you can figure out uh, the density and, and the, the split ability of the density and you can come up with an explosion. So, but part of that is uh, it gives us uh, radioactivity. So that uh, some particles are not spent, they said it's still uh, decay. In uh, a neutron star, uh, because of the power source is so dense that uh, probably within 20 ounces of that thing, and if they had a way to contain it, that will uh, come up the same propulsion system that what you are looking at. That will can move a craft uh, with a wake in front of it through a gravity field, and, and the 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 the, uh, the vehicle is not really moving through air. It's moving through what they call a compressed time, uh, and it's not really moving. Uh, the time around it is moving. We, we're discerning it as our eyes it moves. Um, with a propulsion system like this, um, you probably can go to Alpha Centauri within, I would say, 15 minutes, uh, because yeah, the density of space, you, you're not pushing density. You're pushing down through density. When you push down through density, all of those layers of time around it uh, comes into a compression, into a mode, and that mode um, is like a more heavier you are, faster you go. That doesn't make sense uh, because in, in uh, traveling light speed, more faster you go, the more heavier you get uh, because you can't go as fast as light with a vehicle, they said. That's not true. If you higher the density around the magnetic field itself, you, there's no limit of where you can go. Uh, the, uh, the direction on that will be part of is uh, knowing what the time displacement where you want to go. Uh, these are very, uh, we think these are very fast, but there's a slow way traveling through space, but it's not um, uh, It is physically, it is um, possible. Uh, you can put this on a piece of paper and, and, and work it out on paper and it works. Um, we keep on thinking uh, warp drives and it's kind of a warp drive, but um, the heavier you are in space uh, that you work with that gravity, uh, part of being uh, of the magnetic systems of all galaxies, we're in electrical form. We can use this uh, pulse drive to go anywhere, honestly. So distance from universes and galaxies um, doesn't have a distance. The only reason why we think that's so far away because we're measuring the depth from that distance to where that is. Now, if you had a way to make your density heavier, uh, that uh, because of dense, uh, space is part of a vacuum system, part of that vacuum system is we call it dark matter. Dark matter pushes away from each other. Um, the intermatter collapses on each other, so it, it gives us what they call resonant time. When you have resonant time, then you can travel. It's like a being in a boat that is controlled by a magnetic field. Uh, they've done this in the 60s. Um, uh, they experiment with this in the 60s. They could actually move a boat through a magnetic field, through our magnetic field, to make propulsion. Very primitive, but it's kind of the same method of these things travel. So, uh, by our observing these things, they look like they go 30,000 miles away or something like that, but they're not really traveling that fast with their self. They, they're just moving time to where they want to go. And time is easy to move. Um, uh, we, we, don't, we keep on thinking it's a vastness, but at time, we bump into it every day, where we exist in. And to 24 hours is not 24 hours uh, because our Earth spins, but um, within magnetic flexes and all that stuff, 
that uh, we travel through our existence and non-existence and in existence from probably in the billions of a second. But we don't see that. We see a tree growing years and years and years. We see uh, us growing up. But I think um, in understanding this and what the Copper Scrolls says that be able to travel to the heavens, you need the density of mass of 50,000 50, suns. And if you read that, uh, when you say 50,000 suns, uh, sun is not spelled S-U-N, the sun is spelled S-O-N. Uh, that's like my son. Uh, what does that mean? It's, it's like that. But it's, it's also an acronym, and part of the acronym has an understanding of in the different language and the different way that we think. So there's a lot of information here. Uh, um, I'm glad that, that some of that information is going out there on the Tic Tacs and people are coming forward. I've done the research back in the 20s and 30s, even in the 1800s on some of those crafts. Uh, some of the paintings that is, are in, in, in some of the museums that mention some of the UFOs or what's out there. But what are they doing? I mean, uh, are they little green men that's coming out and, um, and uh, coming and say, oh, take me to your leader? Or it could be another civilization that uh, uh, we need to get caught up a little bit more spiritually and mentally, not technology. Remember, technology follows spirituality, and people don't realize that. Is that uh, I'm a magician, I'm a conjurer, I can make things disappear, I'm, I do all that thing. And by somebody that doesn't understand magic, um, I've done this with people that I can make things disappear, and they think it's, oh, you have an energy force, you have this. No, no, I just have a methodology that you don't understand how I'm, I'm making the illusion that you're, you're perceiving that's real. Same what we're doing here, we're perceiving illusion that's not real. And we're making these most of the stuff up. Everything on the internet, at least 83% of it is false. What's the other percent? It's like, wow, you know. I'm thinking, um, is Sesame Street real or not real? And we were brought up with Sesame Street. The people underneath the table holding puppets, you know. We don't think about that. We see, we see puppets, and they come to life in our imagination. The same was what's going on now um, when, when, we, uh, when we fake something, when we fake a UFO and say it's real, part of that puppeteer underneath is making you believe something. And you don't realize it every, every day is that when you see that, no, that's real. Because I argue with a lot of people, they see UFOs on YouTube and they say, that's real, that's, look at that, you know, uh, it's been on the news and they caught a radar. Uh, the, the recent one is that they've seen this radar and the, the bands and stuff like that. Look for that in the news. Um, look for that on different news uh, reports. We couldn't find it on one. So, so fakery is out there a lot, and we believe it. Um, I tell people, um, uh, inquire a little bit of proof on um, if I'm going to believe, you know. And, uh, and I get hundreds of, uh, believe me, messages from people get mad at me. He said, how do you know? I said, well, I'm out there with a camera and radar. And, Are you? No, I'm using YouTube. I'm, well, there you go. So um, I tell people come out with me on a, on a night that I'm looking for them. Or I've, I've been thinking, people, get a bunch of people together when I'm doing my research. Come on out and join me, you know, uh, to see what I'm doing. But no, I've got time. I've got, got things to do. I've got my um, tech, texting to play on the computer. I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm actually looking for the bumps in the night and, the, and identifying what the lights are. So, yeah, a lot of words. Hmm.
Yeah, holy smokes. <laughs> I don't even know where to go with this. I, I do have a million <laughs> questions. I know that you're going to be doing a teaching down there soon. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about? I know that you've been talking about the Templar connection a lot, which I find fascinating. Everything that you shared today was fascinating and would love to know more, would love to have that information um, given to the communities and, and understood. Um, so, but, yeah, so much. <laughs> a lot of the things I talk about are connected. Uh, they're not, I'm not just uh, talking about the Templar's connection. Uh, there's a connection there with um, our community, uh, Lights and Sky, um, um, with Columbus, uh, with all the different things out there, uh, you know, that we, the information that we look for, we try to connect them. Uh, tonight's part of that connection, um, you know, people, a lot of people coming to uh, come to see what I'm talking about. Um, but a lot of things are hidden right before our eyes and we don't even see what they are. Um, the Templars, I've been talking about the Templars the last 40 years. Um, that connection. Uh, just recently, in the last uh, four or five years, there's an interest in that, in the Knights Templars and everything else. And of course, there's um, TV shows made from that. So part of that interest is from that. But the real truth of what that really is, um, I tell people the, 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 the secret of Oak Island or something like that. You know, uh, they're, not, they're not looking for treasure. Uh, they're looking for money. Uh, so when you watch that, uh, all the advertised on that's what they're selling. That's where the treasure is. They're not going to find any treasure there. I've been there several times. Uh, and, but they're selling that. But we don't see that. We get on that program. Oh, they good. Oh, they found a nail. Oh, my goodness. The nail's back in the 18th. That's a part of the treasure of the box. Or they've all oh, found a board, found this. Like, And we sit there and look and wait for the thing. I like looking for the Loch Ness monster, you know. They, uh, that gets me every time. I, I Oh, the, the National Geographic is going to look for Lock Ness Monster, I get on there and, and get into the program, sit and watch it, then find nothing, <laughs> you know? Um, and they give you something a little, oh no, they might be there, uh, join us next program. They didn't find crap, you know, it's like, great. And I only fell for that about six or seven times before, I, I don't watch it anymore. <laughs> but um, I, I think too is that this, this is a lot of fun, uh, this is a lot of information, uh, people come to my talks and things like that. But don't come from entertainment. Now, that's not it. Not, um, I'm a scientist. Um, uh, sometimes that, uh, when pseudo comes in, that, and what pseudo is, is that uh, we're talking about crazy things. Unic Again, um, when, uh, last time I talked about unicorns, somebody, there's unicorns out there. There used to be. It's like, fine, just take a picture of them. No, no, bring them to me or do something. Let's go ride it or something. Um, but... <laughs> But it's like anything that you say, somebody's going to say, you know, we, we, we talk about the earth is round, square, octagon, maybe something else. But as a scientist, uh, that, um, I have ways to figure out the earth is round through math, uh, through observation, uh, through different things. I don't think this thing here will tell me if the earth is round or flat. It's a perspective, what we're looking for. And I think that um, that perspective is um, wide, <laughs> some of the things that we do. And, you know, the interest on, on uh, knowing that truth, and a lot of it, it might not be what you want to hear on what that truth is. And it might not even be the truth. I, I might be uh, in assimilation and, and um, looking at things people are feeding me or things that's feeding me and come up with that information. But I, I'm, as, as a scientist and as a speaker, that I'm finding that, oh, my goodness, there's so many things out there that we 
assume that's real and we're playing with it. And uh, remember, we're all youngers here. We're, we're young people. Um, when I was growing up, uh, the UFOs weren't very much talked about this in books and things like that, but it's not like now. It's an interest now. So uh, back then it was somewhat an interest. Uh, a, a good ghost story. So, but thank you, Matthew. Well, fascinating as usual. And at the end of the show, I put this new piece of art you just released, which is super fascinating. I don't know what the heck is going on here, but it's uh, very interesting. Do you want to say anything about that? You just released two very interesting pieces of art. And, and I know it's late, so I'll let you decide. if. So a lot of the, um, you know, people look at that and discern, oh, that's beautiful. But the, the, that's a template. Uh, people don't realize a part of the template of the Templars template and part about how they hid uh, their names and family into other names and how they incorporate themselves into the native communities. And uh, they survived through that way. Um, you look at it, it's like, it's like a, it's a fascinating drawing, but it, it, it is a template. Uh, if you look in there, there, there's the Mi'kmaq cross and the Templars cross, if you look really carefully. And they point to different teachings. Each one of those points could point in a different direction. They have different directions, different star systems, different families, <laughs> different philosophies. It goes to the Christian, non-Christian, Muslim. It goes to all the different forms that we don't even look at when we look at the temples. So that's what we'll be talking about tonight. Fascinating. So is there anything that you would like to share before we close? And is there anything that you want to leave the listeners with and how can people help and get more information and all that kind of thing? I know, you know, the, the projects I've seen you work really hard and you're always traveling and usually people invite you to travel and stuff, but then you end up paying your own way because all the teachings are free and you got to, you know, so I watch and see how you manage all that. It's pretty amazing. But in your spare time, you really try to get to the science I remember when I was in Maine last year, you showed me some of the prints out from the balloon and I didn't know what I was looking at. You said, this is, you know, a stack. And it was a huge stack of information that I didn't know what I was looking at. And you're like, this is just part of the information from the balloons that I have to, I'm trying to figure out. And you piece that together when you have time, which is rare, you work incredibly hard. So how can people help if they want to support what you're doing? Well, um, I don't really like asking for the financial end of it. Uh, this all takes time and money to do. Uh, we have um, several people that um, donate to different, um, I don't even know what it is, exactly no more, uh, on, on, on the financial end of it. And that financial end of it pays for some of the science that, that I'm doing. Um, not very much, but it pays enough. It pays for the bills and keeps the lights on, keeps us traveling. Yeah, and again, then, um, Somebody said, well, you realize if you um, charge people uh, $20, $30 for getting into your talk, you're going to make more and people are going to be more interested because it has a value to it because people want to know what value is. And, but in the, in the teachings that I was taught that all this information is free, yeah, that's not, it's not because it doesn't have value. It's because I'm not uh, looking for a value of myself. I'm not looking to be rich. I'm not looking to be all that. So people discern that it's like, well, it's free, so there must not be anything there. Um, but if you came into any of the talks and realized what we're talking about, it's like, wow, you should charge for that. People will come. Yeah, but why, why don't they just come anyway? I mean, um, when they come in to hear me speak, there's a donation basket there. Throw something in there. 
um, you know, because it does cost money to do all this and go to London and, and go do all this research. Well, which, you tell me any scientist out there that has any right mind to them uh, with grants and all the different things, would they be still doing their science if they didn't get paid for it? Most likely say yes. But again, then I want to be open to the public and, and open to the, uh, some of the things I'm doing. And um, most of the stuff I just hand over to the community, hand over to the council and say, you do something with it. I, I enjoy being a scientist and, and, <laughs> and doing the research. But, you know, I'm not the financial end of it. I'm not the thinking about go getting rich from this. I just want to do the science, honestly, and be able to do the science. Uh, where we, where from now, the snow is coming. So it's going to, that means that's going to be inside work. So, and, and, and having a lab. I don't have a decent lab. I have a basement uh, working with some of the real uh, hard stuff that I'm working with. Uh, it has to be a dust-free environment. So a lot of that is just taking your time working with a microscope. Uh, I just tell people, um, pray if you have to for us or just send some sort of thing. Um, we, we work constantly. We travel constantly. But like I said, um, and, and myself, I would just wish that um, everybody understand what we're doing. And, they would, uh, and this, is what, this is what I'm talking to. I'm not a podcast person, so, um, but uh, understand what we're doing. And it's incredible, fascinating work. Uh, if, you, if you haven't seen it, um, uh, check out our website. Uh, check out some of the things on YouTube. Um, and it shows you what we're doing. And hopefully, again, that uh, we're working on a couple other little projects here and there to get more information to you. And I, I think I think you dis disclosed it a little while ago that uh, part of the document documentation of the balloons that's on that information. So we are making a documentary on that information. If that goes all right, that uh, we're going to be making more information. I'm hoping to uh, park um, a balloon beside the uh, space station. It's very capable. I can I can do that. All it just takes a little bit of time to do that. So. Yeah, uh, help in some way. Yep. Uh, well, so David, see, uh, see yeah. people comment and send a little things up. That's great. Ooh. <laughs> well, thanks for sharing. I appreciate all that. Yeah, if you guys are interested in David's work, you can go to lonebearsarts.com. Also on, I think, Star Te I don't know what our Star Teachings one is, but the Star Teachings on Facebook and Ancient Echoes, Distant Ancient Echoes on Facebook as well. It's a little bit more around the, the technology piece and support would be appreciated. Help would be appreciated as a very small team trying to do a lot of big things. Um, but always fascinating. I appreciate you and your time and everything that you do. Is there anything else you'd like to share before we close it? I guess one of the other projects that I've been working on uh, the last few weeks is um, a drone project is that one of the balloons that was sending up uh, like 19,000 feet, uh, one of the drones will come off the balloon and circle the balloon and take pictures of the balloon while it's up there and redock itself into the balloon itself. Uh, I can't go over 20,000 feet because the drone won't grab enough air up there to fly, uh, but 19,000 feet is a good thing. I've been working on the electronics and purchased a drone for that purpose and, and replacing the camera. Uh, the drone is going to have a um, radar, a very small radar, connected to the drone itself. So uh, those, um, some of those discrepancies up there, it can go out uh, uh, at least uh, 15 to 20 miles away from the balloon and take a picture of it and redock with the balloon. <laughs> so, 
that's harder than you think it is, believe me. On the ground, that you know, you crash all the drones, but the electronics and using that, the, 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 I'm having fun with that one. So we was uh, up north testing the uh, uh, flight characteristics of the drone with electronics. And a good, good test, we're in 20 mile an hour wind, so. Sounds interesting. Well, the documentary is exciting. I'm looking forward to that. And uh, thank you to everyone who's been helping with that project. Um, have an amazing day. I appreciate you coming on and sharing what you did and look forward to future broadcasts and more information. My honor. Thank you. Thank you. All right. See you guys. Thanks for watching. Peace. There you have it, guys. The absolutely incredible David Lone Bear Senna Pass. I hope that you enjoyed that show. I invite you to do some research on some of the things that he shared and talked about. It's truly fascinating. A lot of the time, I'm actually having to do a lot of research. David doesn't tell me much more than he tells you guys in the audience. He shares a lot more. When you go watch him speak, he shares so much more. And what it does is just opens up all these rabbit holes and you end up doing research and you're able to connect the dots a lot better and it's because of the time that I spent with him in Maine some of the things that I saw and and what I was able to um, kind of piece together with the teachings that he would give in person, with the tease, with the technology, and with what he'd share in the podcast. The podcast is just the tip of the iceberg. The things in person are so much deeper, but what's always required is your effort. Nothing is just kind of given. He reminds me so much of like Mr. Miyagi or, uh, you know, his culture is totally different. I'm going to train with a Shaolin master. It's like, you or uh, Dr. Strange. Is that what it is? Yeah, I think it's Dr. Strange where, you know, he has to go there and earn it. And a lot of what he talks about, you have to earn it. You have to show up. You have to be putting in the work. It's not just a, you know, here you go and here is everything. And, you know, there's no effort involved. But when you put in the effort and you do the research, you really do begin to explore some fascinating ideas and you're able to put some things together so really amazing stuff i'm always grateful to have him on the show i'm so of course he's the first episode of 2020 um i look forward to what he's going to do this year as well he's been releasing a lot of art i've uh, been speaking a lot about the knights templars in person unfortunately i haven't been able to make any of those events in london england as well as maine and nova scotia but there are some events planned for 2020 so if you want to learn more show up in person and definitely get your mind blown so yeah um what else yeah make sure you head over to mapbelair.com sign up for the email list the 21 day challenge is dropping in a week you can join at any time they're going to be short video lessons but q a with the community help keep you going get your year off on the right foot and you'll learn just the tools and strategies that i use with myself and also for the clients that i work with to get very very clear and just know within your soul, within your essence, the direction you prefer to go will remove any of that confusion just through simple processes um, that help you really refine your vision. And with vision and clarity, then you can set goals and achieve and create the life that you want. It is that simple. It's not easy, um, but you really need to go through the steps. So I hope to see you guys in there. Make sure you sign up to the email list at mattbelair.com. We'll be sending that out. And I would love to have you guys in there. I would love your feedback. I want to know what you guys want in this membership in the Minder, in the Mastermind Body Spirit Academy. So please reach out. Let me know. I uh, would love to hear from you. So thank you so much to, for listening to this first episode of 2020. I wish you, your family, your friends, your loved ones, all of the best this year. Um, Thank you for being here. All of my love and support. And we'll see you in the next episode. Um, let's come into a state of peace and go here before we close it out. Wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Taking a deep breath in through your nose. 
hold that breath and just let it out slowly, filling every cell, every muscle, and every fiber of your being with peace, joy, contentment, enthusiasm, inspiration, confidence, self-love, and ready to take on the rest of the day. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you in the next episode.